0: it's time for the crunch time plays podcast where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros and now here's your host bennett Ganey. what's up y'all live hey what's up this is danny wexelman of everyone i'm Steffi smalls
1: what's up everyone it's ben lindsey this is andrea carter hey there it's brooks awesome and you are watching and listening to crunch time plays
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Crunch Time Plays. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcast or Spotify, thanks so much for joining us today. Got another incredible guest that, that covers Florida from Rivals, and we're always trying to to bring you the best guests. We're going to talk about baseball and football today, so we're going to hit a couple of the sports that we cover here on the show, and we're going to do all that with with Nick Torre that covers Florida for Rivals, at Gators territory. Nick, what's up, man?
1: Appreciate you having me on. Tom Bennett, it's a uh, exciting time getting down down to the nitty gritty with baseball, and uh, I think Florida just announced that they're going to have a full stadium in the fall. So uh, I know I'm looking forward
0: to uh, getting fans back in the stands for sure. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It's it's amazing what how diff you know just sitting at games last year. It was just amazing to see that 25 percent 20, 20, capacity and just. Knowing that, that everything's gonna be a hundred percent back in the fall, that just creates even more excitement for the football season.
1: Yeah, it was my first trip last year to Ole Miss and my first trip to college station and uh almost felt like Rob a little bit that I didn't get you know the full experience of the twelfth man or get to see tailgating on the grove. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I mean, Florida gets Alabama week three, so um, you talk about ninety thousand in the swamp. I'm
0: looking forward to uh, to week three. Just fast forward through those first two weeks for me. <laughs> well, I want to start off with you by talking uh, talking a little baseball. We're getting close to the getting close mm-hmm. to the postseason, the NCAA tournament coming up, and I know Florida they're right on the verge of hosting a regional. I you know I I talked about it with the, with Aaron Fit on the show the other day it was was a I thought Florida w- was going to be able to host a regional based on their resurgence here in the late part of the season, who's, we talk about Judd Fabian, he's kind of led the comeback for Florida. Now he's has the sec leading 20 home runs.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, coming into the year. um, So it's, it's, it's normal in football for guys to enroll early. Um, Very, very unusual for that to happen in baseball. I mean, you're giving up your senior season of high school baseball um, to do it. So Judd coming into the year, you know, last year, He started off so hot and he played in the Florida summer league and um, was hitting home runs there. So for him, he was the youngest or one of the youngest draft available guys in the class, which plays in his favor, of course, because of the COVID year, he's only a sophomore. So he has all kinds of leverage. And uh, his brother is committed to Florida and he'll be at Florida next year. So, you know, when, when a team drafts you, you start telling them, Hey, I got a lot to come back to. So you might want to hit this number. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure on Judd yeah, I think at the so. beginning of the year and you start off in a slump and then you kind of get in your own head but I think I think you know Kevin O'Sullivan knows and the team knows that Judd's kind of the engine that gets this team going so for for him when he was slumping you had to have some other guys pick pick him up and um, you just see the difference in this lineup when Judd Fabian is playing like Judd Fabian and um, he's got two home runs in each of the last three Saturdays. Um, two of those coming off Jack Leiter, who <laughs> a lot of people think could be the number one overall pick in the draft. So he's
0: definitely rounding into form and hitting the ball really well right now. And, and Florida's scoring a lot of runs around him. Where does Florida kind of stand? I know we, we talked about them being talk about them being a regional host. It seems like the SEC possibly could get six, a regional host, and then maybe add in South Carolina as, as the seventh. Is Florida – and They got Arkansas this weekend. What what do they need to do to kind of maintain uh, that regional host status and, and possibly maybe win a game or two down in Hoover to sort of secure that status as well? Well, they might want a
1: time machine to go back to Columbia and not get swept by South Carolina uh, to start. You know, when, when you start looking at things now, you know, at the time you don't want to get swept, but you're, it's so early in the year. There's so much baseball left to play. When you get down to the last three games and you're trailing, you know, Arkansas by two and trailing Tennessee by one, you think, man, really wouldn't really would like to just win, you know, the Sunday game in Columbia and not be swept. So you start counting those games from back in February, March uh, a little differently. But I think Florida, you know, would have loved to have swept Georgia, but I think they're still in a good spot to host a regional. Number nine in the country. Um, you have an opportunity at, at Arkansas playing, uh, you know, against the number one team in the country. If you can get one game, I think, in Arkansas, I think you're pretty good if you're Florida for hosting a regional. They want to host a super regional. And for me to do that at this point, you probably have to take the series in Arkansas with either two wins, maybe three, and um, and then win a game in Hoover. I think like absolute disaster scenario would be getting swept uh, in Fayetteville this weekend and then losing your first game in Hoover. That means you're on a, a five-game losing streak and then maybe you can fall out of the regional. I just I think four is pretty solid. They were one of those twenty teams. I think they're pretty set in being able to host a regional, but they would like to you know play at home as, as long as they can uh, on the road to Omaha.
0: Yeah, definitely so. And one of the things that that I was you know thinking about was you know they had, if. You know, Florida could be one of those top eight national seeds, and and that would probably put the SEC with five, possibly top eight national seeds. Where do you think the committee? Crazy. Where do you think the committee stands on that? I know they try to create some geographic diversity when trying to decide mm-hmm. on these teams being able to host regionals and super regionals, and also being regional hosts. But but the it seems like to me this year, since there's not really that many dominant teams outside of the SEC, the they might go about rewarding the sec this season specifically.
1: Yeah. I think you're in a tough spot there because you really, you really just want to find the best eight. And then after that, find the next best eight. because really the, the advantage of being a national seed, I think that has to be earned. And you can't say, well, shoot, we have too many sec teams. We need more diversity. Well, if, if five of the best eight teams are from one conference, that's fine. They, They've had to battle each other and beat up on each other all year long, and they've earned it. Um, you know, I think Texas is probably going to earn a national seed. They've had a great year. Um, but to me, it just becomes uh, unfair, maybe, to say, well, there's too many SEC teams. So even, let's say, South Carolina sweeps this weekend. And it's all right. Well, we can't even make them a regional because then we'd have seven SEC teams. That shouldn't matter what conference they are. You look at overall resume who have you beaten? Who have you lost to? What kind of schedule have you played? And it's unfortunate because of COVID, you know, uh, big 10 teams have only played a conference schedule. Um, uh, a team who I think is a Cinderella story in Fairfield, um, you know, had the number one RPI for most of the season. And uh, I think they're like 31 and one, they only had to play a conference schedule. That's not up to them. That's up to their, their conferences. And should they be penalized? You know, I don't, I don't think so. And um it's an interesting it's it's COVID's made everything weird and, and and made a lot of decisions tougher, but I don't think you should penalize the SEC for being the best baseball conference in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I don't think so either. I mean to me the the goal, I mean it's kind of like the college football playoff. I mean, the goal mm-hmm. is to get the goals to get the four best teams. And if if seven out of those first sixteen are SEC schools, then then they should be able to to go with that and not mm-hmm. feel like they have to explain anything with that. Well, I mean, what did you think? It's the best. It's the best college <laughs> kind of baseball conference uh, in the country,
1: and it has been for a while. I think, um, you know, I thought Tennessee would be good, but I sure didn't think they'd be this good. I mean, um, you know, they gave Arkansas everything they could handle for three straight games, um, and, and then South Carolina is resurgent. I don't know that I expected much out of South Carolina to come into the year, and um, they're they're playing hot right now. Um, and then Vanderbilt and. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the country with with two two of the most dominant pitchers in the country. So there's just so much talent um, throughout the league, and um, I think you're going to see a lot of SEC teams hosting. And then it'll be interested. I'll be interested to see how they match up because they, I believe, they do um, the seeding now, where one will match up with sixteen for supers. So it'll be interesting to see where you match, where you place one through eight, and where you place you know nine through. Um, sixteen because all right well do we want to have Florida and Arkansas matched up for a super regional when they just played two weeks ago and how do you
0: take those things into consideration yeah, there's no there's no doubt about that and, and one of the things I've kind of been thinking about to, or as we've seen how resurgent this Tennessee team has been that Missouri had an opportunity to to hire Tony Vitello a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and and they and they weren't able and they weren't able to do that. But in Missouri, they've been kind of a, a more known, well, be, more well-known baseball program than than Tennessee has over the past five or six years. Do you, do you think Tony Vitella, if he hypothetically, if he would have gone to Missouri a couple of years ago, would we be talking about Missouri instead of Tennessee in this top eight national C conversation? Um, that's interesting.
1: And, and I don't, baseball recruiting, I think he's done a great job building that program. If you look at the roster, they have a lot of kids from Tennessee. And I think the reason why the SEC is so dominant is because that 11.7 scholarship number makes it really hard um, to, to recruit. And Florida is lucky to be in a state where we play year round baseball here. I, mean, I grew up playing baseball, I played college baseball, and there's no off season. You might get like a couple of weeks off at some point, but you're playing fall, winter, spring, summer, and it just builds better baseball players. And if, I, if I'm if i a good baseball player, it's hard for me to turn down my Bright Futures money at Florida, the 25% that I'm going to get for an athletic scholarship. And now my, my price to go to school might be $500 a semester. If I go out of state, even to a school like Mississippi State, I'm paying out-of-state tuition. That might be $20,000. Baseball is only covering 25, 30 percent of that. And now I've got to figure out how to pay this other money. So I feel like, you, you know, if you talk about schools like Texas and, or states like Texas, Georgia, Louisiana, uh, Florida, you got a lot of talented baseball players there. Uh, of course, Vanderbilt doesn't care about the, the scholarships because they're a private school and they got all kinds of grant money and uh, stuff like that. But I don't know that you can recruit the same kind of kids at Missouri. I think you might have to get some junior college kids and it might be different. And, but to Tony's credit, I didn't think I would be saying that about Tennessee. I didn't think that Tennessee would have the same kind of talent that a Florida, or Georgia, uh, or Texas, or California, those kinds of schools have. And um, you look at his roster and and he's got a lot of homegrown talent and credit to him for finding that. I think he's uh, a younger coach, probably a, a dog on the recruiting trail and he's made Tennessee a legitimate baseball power this year, and, and, and I mean, you look at Blade Tidwell throwing 100 miles an hour on Sunday, so
0: he, he, he's made them probably a power for a couple of years, to, you know, to come now too. Where where do you kind of stand on, on the scholarship count uh, for baseball? Because I've always I've always said that that it, it you know I thought it should be raised. I mean, you're talking about giving half scholarships to kids. I mean, if they're if they're deserving of it, I mean, be able to hand out a full scholarship. But also when you talk about possibly new NIL, how that's going to affect all these mm-hmm. different sports. And it seems to me that baseball is going to be kind of the sport possibly that could benefit most from that because you're being able to attract some of those out-of-state kids that that maybe don't have the financial, you know, pleasures that other kids have. Possibly the NIL, wherever they decide to go to school, could be beneficial for them if they decide to go out-of-state
1: it might be a way to kind of supplement, Hey, uh, I know you're going to pay a little more to come here, but you know, a state like Florida um, I think Tennessee signed, it, Georgia signed, it, Alabama signed. It may you know, I don't know if South Carolina has, but for instance, if there's a hitter in South Carolina, Hey, I know it's going to be a little more to come to Florida than it is to go play for the Gamecocks, but let us give you this presentation of what our school is doing and, and the, the name image likeness stuff that we have and, and other opportunities that you can make up for that. I think that's going to be a big game changer. Obviously everyone talks about it with football, um, but there's a young lady, uh, UConn freshman basketball player who's got 800,000 Twitter followers and or, um, Instagram followers. And the the money that she's going to make, she's probably going to have more endorsements on her Instagram than Florida's starting running back, you know, or, or something like that. And, and that's a one-off, but um, I think the, the people that have been against name image, like Name, image, likeness haven't grown up in the social media age and don't realize how much money can be made from uh, you know being yourself and marketing yourself. So I think that could change with with, with baseball. It, that it still remains to be seen. I'm interested to see how uh, quickly that goes into effect here in Florida uh, starting July 1st. But I'm all for that. Um, back to your original question, I I think it's really really tough. For baseball coaches to kind of maneuver recruiting and what you have on the roster with eleven point seven scholarships, and um, I, I don't know how raising it. You know, there's so much parity in college baseball. Uh, I mean, Coastal Carolina six years ago wins wins the national championship, and can they compete with a Florida, an LSU, a South Carolina, a UCLA if those guys are now able to offer twenty five full rides? Um, I, I don't know because. You know, some kids might want to stay home and play, but I think 11.7 kind of evens, evens the, the playing field and creates parity. But I, I don't like the number. And um, and I think it creates more headaches for coaches and, and more hardships for some players.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that too. And, and you know, per, personal branding's a, a big thing. I mean, we talked about, you know, Paige Becker's, she, you know, got over 800,000 Instagram followers. and But do you think, and this is kind of the same deal with football as well, and it probably is going to affect all sports, but we're kind of looking at at the bill that Georgia passed that where they could possibly take 75% of the revenue that a student athlete earns and put it in a pot for, for other student athletes that, that don't earn much for, from NIL. But do you, one of the things that you kind of think about is culture and kind of division in the locker room. Do you think NIL could possibly – calls any of that, divisions in the locker room? Uh,
1: I think that's an argument, but I don't know that I I agree with it. Um, You've got guys at the professional level, and and not everyone at the University of Florida playing football is going to be in the NFL. Um, And that you could say that even at a school like Alabama that sends more kids to the NFL than anybody right now. Um, But I think all it's doing is just creating a free market for these guys. And it's not like the school is cutting checks. and, and so could it? Yes, possibly, um, but at the end of the day, I think that it's not going to create those divisions because everyone has the same opportunity. I don't think you're going to get someone running to coach being like, coach, I need more carries because my rent checks this, and if I don't if I don't get enough carries, I'm not going to get, you know, this much money to go to my next autograph signing. It's I need to meet the bills, so I think it, it creates more good than it does harm, and um, America is a capitalist society, and, and they're just allowing um, these amateurs uh, the chance to profit off of their name, their image, their likeness, and what they've worked for. So does that mean the starting quarterback at Florida is going to make more than the punter? Probably. Um, but that's just the free and fair market. You are worth what
0: someone's willing to pay you. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. And and that's, you know, that, that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't, why I didn't think there was going to be much division is, is because of that. I mean, people are already already used to to the to the way of life here here in America, mm-hmm. and I think that's just you know I think it's just the way things are going to be from now on.
1: I I, I like it. And it's it's just a way for you know if I, I'm a, an engineering student on a full academic scholarship at Florida, um, my course loads a lot, but I don't have you know mandatory lifts and mandatory practices and then games i'm not traveling for all this stuff and i'm allowed to have a job outside of that i can you know even if it's only like delivering pizzas i have a job and i can make more money on the side the sports the the athletes that i know they're not even allowed to have a job um on the side unless it's some sort of internship for a class credit so i mean even in that where you're saying well they're getting paid for this this and that and it's like well there's other expenses that come up, you know, you and your girlfriend want to go to dinner. Well, my, you know, my, my, my meal plan doesn't pay for, for dinner out with my girlfriend or, or going out bowling with friends. And there's always a little stuff that comes up. And, um, I think there's just a lot, it's a, it's like an onion. You peel back a bunch of different layers and there's always something else. So I'm all for the NIL. Um, it could create problems and it we're, we might be in like a beta testing, um,
0: for a year to kind of figure things out. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things that that I, whenever I was in South Carolina, was they'd always have an internship a program in the summer for for student athletes to to make a little bit to make a little bit of money. But but you still, yeah, like you mentioned, when you think about regular students having the opportunity, student athletes don't get that opportunity during, especially during their season. Like we talk about football mm-hmm. in the fall, you know, we talk about time management. You you just don't have time to be able to earn any of that extra income. Yeah, I mean, I played Division
1: Three baseball, and we were up at 6 in the morning to do some kind of conditioning, whether it was swimming, running, lifting, something. And then you're doing that for 90 minutes, and then you run and you get like a quick breakfast, shower, quick breakfast. Then you're in class. You've got mandatory study hall. Um, you've got a three-and-a-half-hour practice after that, and then study hall after practice, more class. There's just not time in the day. It's a full-time job, really, to be a Division Three athlete. <laughs> Let alone to be, you know, playing football or, or baseball or gymnastics at you know a Division one level and
0: uh, you know in a conference like the SEC, which is so demanding. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And, and kind of switching over to football, and again, we're here to Nick DeTore from Rivals does an outstanding job covering Florida. It's been great conversation so far on baseball, but kind of switching over to football. You know, Florida lost lost a lot on on offense. You talk about losing Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Tony and Grimes all all to the NFL three were drafted one signed an undrafted free agent contract but how do when you talk about that Florida's football or talk about identity on offense how do you think Dan is going to go about kind of changing a little because to me I think they become a little bit more of a running team with Emory Jones when you talk about adding DeMarcus Bowman the transfer from Clemson it seems like to me you can do a lot more uh, in the run game that I think Florida could take advantage of Sure,
1: and uh, I think it's a credit to Dan Mullen. Um, Everywhere he's gone, you know, when when he first got to Florida, we were all thinking, well, Tebow, Dak, Nick Fitzgerald, he's got a type. He needs to have a quarterback that can run. Um, And Felipe Franks could run a little bit, but he wasn't those three guys that I just named. And we were trying to figure out how it would work, and he asked Felipe to run a little bit, but he certainly wasn't running, you know, the Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott quarterback dives with Felipe. He, Dan does a really good job of finding out what his players do well and molding the offense to them. I'd like to think that Dan has a playbook that's, let's say, got a thousand plays and it's all different types of plays. Because Alex Smith wasn't an incredible runner at Utah, um, but he could throw the ball. Kyle Trask might be uh, as fast as you and I but he broke records throwing the ball. So it's not like Dan is saying, no, this is my system. I won a national championship as an offensive coordinator with Tim Tebow. You have to do this. Um, so I think what Fleur did in the spring was throw as much at the offense as they can as they could to kind of see, all right, we can't run this set of plays. We can run these really well. We run these all right. need to work on this stuff. So I think, like you said, the offense is going to be a lot different. You're not going to watch Emory Jones – Throw the ball, drop back and throw the ball forty times a game, like Kyle Trask is doing. He does bring a different dynamic as uh, a quarterback that can run, but he also has a really big arm. So I think it's a situation where you draw teams in with play action, or you draw teams in with Emory Jones running the ball, with handing the ball off to. I mean, they've got a slew of running backs: Naquan Wright, Malik Davis, Lorenzo Lingard, Demarcus Bowman, Damian Pierce. A lot of guys to hand the ball off to. So uh, I think you. Florida's identity will be a running team, but then Emory Jones has the arm talent um, and a couple of receivers, even though Florida's lost about 10 10 pass catchers the last two years in the draft, they still have some guys on the roster um, where you can, you know, take the top off of defense. So to me, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be a whole new defense or a whole new offense for Florida next year. um, And it's really going to be on the coaching staff to uh, assess what they have, find out what these guys do well, and then, Put that into action and, and try to take advantage of what those guys do well.
0: Who are some of the the wide receivers that that you're looking for uh, for Florida to step up here in the fall? And you know, we we talked about they've lost a lot of receivers the past few years, but the, yeah. they, they do return some guys that they caught a great percentage of passes in a uh, copier and, and shorter. So they have a, a couple weapons there for. Emory Jones to work with. Who who are a couple of those other guys at receiver that you're looking to step up this fall, and, and so they can, you know, mix run with pass well on offense. Sure. Well, Justin Shorter, like you just mentioned, the former five
1: star um, Penn State transfer, he's probably going to be your one of your starters outside. And Jacob Copeland, um, he's a, a a guy who had a ton of publicity around his recruitment down here. Um, he's from the Pensacola area and back and forth. Was he going to Alabama? Was he going to come to Florida? And I think he surprised a lot of people by picking Florida and it's kind of just been waiting for him to, to really break out. He had some injuries early on in his career, um, but people are hoping that this will be a breakout year for him. I think those are your two starters. And then there's a bunch of guys who haven't had opportunities yet, but you know, really talented in terms of, um, you know, what they bring you to the, the the table athletically. Um, Xavier Henderson, who's the younger brother of CJ Henderson, who was drafted ninth overall two years ago. Um, he's a big young wide receiver. He's only going to be a sophomore. Uh, Trent Whitmore, who's a Gainesville boy uh, from Beauregard High School down here. He is a really interesting prospect because I think you could play him at all three positions, inside or outside. And he's a big, he'd be a big slot receiver at six foot four. Uh, and then there's a, a freshman, Dejon Reynolds, who I'm really excited to, to watch, um, and a couple redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, and Jaquavion Frazier's and Jamarcus Weston. So there's a bunch of guys. They don't have really uh, the experience in terms of statistics and catches, but they've been around, and, and they know the
0: system, and they know the offense. What – kind of switching over to the, to the defensive side of the ball now, do you kind of expect – a, kind of a resurgence from this Florida defense this year? Because I know whenever I think about it, when we're talking about, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds, it's one of the things you that you deal with is, is pride like in college. And, and Florida, mm-hmm. Florida, on defense last year, they didn't seem like they played with very much pride, much swagger. They were pretty depleted on defense. Do you expect a, a resurgence uh, in Ty Grantham this year? They lost a couple of guys on staff. And what, what kind of are, are you expecting for the Florida defense?
1: Well, I think when you see uh, a couple guys in the secondary get drafted um, after the year that Florida had defensively, it makes those uh, those coaching decisions, those coaching changes make a lot more sense uh, when, you know, Marco, Marco Wilson and Sean Davis get drafted. Uh, I, I don't know if Florida's defense can get any worse. Uh, I've been here – I've been at Florida since 2013, so – I mean, I've seen some really bad offenses, but like through through and through, the defense is always good. So last year was the first time where I'm looking up, you know, what's the most passing yards floor has ever given up? What's the most points Fleur has ever given up? And um, they were setting records last year, the wrong kind of records. So I don't think it can get worse, um, but it'll be interesting to me. Todd, this is probably the longest Todd Grantham stayed at one place. Um, he's, you know, habitually moved around, whether it's Louisville or – the nfl and spent some time at georgia and he's kind of been all over the place so this will be his fifth year in a row with dan mullen and they have talent um for me the big question mark is is right up the middle you lose a couple defensive tackles uh in kyrie campbell um you you lose a couple starting safeties so to me the question is what does florida do at nose tackle defensive tackle safety and then um you know outside of um Ventro miller who comes back for his retro senior year what do you do next to him at linebacker so i've got a bunch of question marks but i think you're talented i think Kyrie elam's an all sec type of player and then you've got another four high four star and jason marshall who's a freshman who i think can start this year um Jaden hill's a guy who will probably be trying to to stop <laughs> jason marshall from starting over him um but there's talent there's talent for sure Flores is recruited well on that side of the ball um and then a guy – you also have guys like Trey Dean who, who will be going into his senior year. So you've got a good mix of young guys of talent and, and some veteran leadership back there as well.
0: What's the – what do you think the, – what's the kind of relationship between, between Dan Mullen and Ty Grantham? I know they, they both respect each other a lot. And do you do you expect any kind of a leash for, for Ty Grantham this year? So you get – you know, so you get to that Alabama game and, and things, you know, don't, don't show improvement. You give up, you know, 45, 50 points – to Alabama is it is it a kind of thing where where Dan Mullen may say you know what this, this just isn't working out and, and try to make a change then or or could it possibly just wait uh to the end of the season and when because I know you know there's been rumors about Dan Mullen go, possibly going mm-hmm. to the NFL as well
1: yeah I uh well I think Dan Mullen uh, uh I think Dan Mullen was flirting with the NFL more than the NFL was flirting with him to be honest you know um, I would love to go on a date with Jennifer Aniston, but you know, it takes two to two to go dating. So uh, I think that's why Dan might've floated some stuff out, maybe looking for a contract extension. Um, but uh, it, it, it just wasn't there to me. It's it's interesting because even Alabama last year gave up a lot of points and, and just the way that football and the rules are changing. They're really benefiting the offense. Like uh, I was talking to um, Marco Wilson's dad, Chad Wilson. He played for Miami and in, in, in the late in the early nineties and he coaches defensive backs down in South Florida. And he's like, you can't, he's like, I couldn't play defensive back right now. You can't touch these guys. If you touch them, it's a flag. And um, the rules are just changing more so to, to aid offenses because they want TV money and people, you know, if you think back to that game of the century, Alabama LSU, and I think it was like six to three no one, no one wanted to watch that. I loved it, but that doesn't, you know, that's not exciting to people um, and they want to see points scored. So we might just be in an era where points are going to be scored and you need a quarterback and you need a strong offense to win. I mean, Alabama gave up, I think close to 700, 800 yards against Ole Miss last year, wins the game, but that's not an Alabama defense. I'm sure people in Tuscaloosa were ready to fire everyone outside Nick when that happened. So I think Dan really, really trusts Todd Grantham. Um, I think Todd's a very smart defensive mind and I, I don't see him, Dan making a midseason move now. Florida, Really struggles um, throughout the season, and maybe you get to a point where after the year you have to make a move. But I don't, I, I wouldn't foresee it happening at any point during the year. Dan had an opportunity. There was a ton of outside pressure um, to move on, and and he made some coaching changes, which he's not normal, uh, not used to, not used to doing. He kind of has guys that stick with him: John Hevesy, Greg Knox, Billy Gonzalez. Those guys have been with him for more than a decade, um, so he's loyal to his guys, and I think Todd
0: Grantham is one of his guys. When you look at kind of Florida in in the East this year, you know, take us Georgia and and everybody else in the East. Where does Florida kind of kind of stack up uh, in your mind in the East? Because you know, the Missouri they lost a lot. Of, lost a lot on defense, but their offense will be really good with Connor Basilak. And, and you know, they added some some transfers, but also Kentucky. I mean, Mark Stoops could possibly be, you know, the most underrated coach in the SEC. They got a lot coming back on the offensive and defensive lines, trying to implement a new offense with Liam Cohen. Where do you kind of see Florida stacking up in the East between Kentucky and Missouri? Um,
1: I, I think I put Florida right there with Georgia, to be honest with you. Um, like I said before, there's still so many question marks. I think Emery's going to be a really good quarterback, um, but it's up to the coaching staff to put him in the position to be successful. Like, if they don't figure it out and just try to throw him to what Kyle Trask did, I don't think that's what they'll do, but that's not putting Emory Jones in a position to be successful. Um. I, I think Florida's a really tough stretch when you look at their schedule. Um, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, right there to, to start the SEC, and, and I'm with you. I think Mark Stoops is one heck of a football coach. Um, Kentucky's not an easy place to recruit. You're recruiting against uh, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, all those schools right there in the north, just north of you are there in Kentucky. Um, you really have to go outside of the state of Kentucky, too, to fill out your, your roster. So I think he's done an incredible job, especially, like you said, uh, in the trenches on the offensive and defensive lines. He's given Florida fits since he's been there at Kentucky as well. So to me, that's a really interesting three uh, stretch of three games for Florida. And how banged up are you after Alabama? And, and maybe something happens against a really tough Alabama team and, and one loss turns into two. I've seen that happen with Florida as well. But for for my money right now, I think uh, Florida and Georgia are the class of the East and uh until someone knocks them, you know, knocks one of those two teams off. Because right now it's past couple of years, just been whoever wins that game in Jacksonville is the one that's going to go on and, and, and play in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, I man. You know, I put, you know, I, I had Florida, you know, released my SEC preseason picks earlier in the week, and I had, had Florida behind, you know, Kentucky and Missouri. But, the only, you know, it's just because there's so many questions for, for so Florida. Many unknowns. Just so many unknowns for Florida Mm -hmm. to answer. I mean, when you look at, but also the, the schedule, I mean, Florida, Florida has a, a really tough schedule. I mean, you draw, you draw Alabama and LSU from, from the West, you know, you know, you play LSU every year, but then this year you get the tide in Alabama and then you have a really tough stretch there. And then also at the end of the season, you've got LSU, Georgia, and you're at South Carolina. So those couple stretches of those, three games could be very tough for Florida depending on you know how the early season goes.
1: Yeah. That's a, a month stretch because that you always get they always get by a week before for Georgia, but that's at LSU, Georgia's in Jacksonville, um, and then at South Carolina. And like and like I said, you know, it's we've seen it so much at Florida in recent history, just the injuries um and how they can pile up and uh not, knocking on wood so Florida fans don't, you know, run to my house with pitchforks talking about quarterbacks getting injured. But, I mean, Luke Del Rio and Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask, when he was trying to go from a backup to a starter, broke his foot one week that we thought he was going to start over Felipe. And there's just been a slew of injuries. So Florida's schedule, you know, getting LSU every year. Obviously, LSU was down last year, and they still came into Florida. It came into Gainesville and beat, and beat the Gators. So um, it's, a t- it's probably the toughest schedule in the SEC when you consider – you're getting probably the the best two best teams in the, in in the other division, uh, and then you have to play the rest of your SEC East schedule as well.
0: Yeah, I mean Al- Alabama is certainly the, the class of the West, it will be an interesting uh, debate hmm. between LSU and A&M in the West. I kind I put Texas A&M ahead of LSU uh, in the West, mm-hmm. but that that was only because of the schedule that that A&M is playing. the the ske- The schedule's definitely you know, not a, not up to the class of Florida's this year for A&S. So they could definitely go, you know, 10 and two, 11 and one. Yeah. And, and,
1: and I mean, you lose Calamon, but I think Jimbo's done such a good job recruiting and developing quarterbacks going back to his time at Florida state, which is where I'm really familiar with him. Um And, and, and he figured out a way to beat Florida last year as well. And, and Florida played really good that game. I mean, shoot Kyle Pitts was scoring touchdowns and Trash throwing the ball over the field. And they made adjustments at halftime and won that game. So um, LSU was down last year. I mean, they lost everybody Ed Orgeron probably walked back into that building after winning the national championship, looked around and was like, where is it? Where did everyone go? <laughs> coordinator, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback, running back, my receivers, everyone's gone. Um, but I think they, they, they could get things figured out. You got to find out who the, who the quarterback's going to be for both those teams for LSU and and for uh Texas A&M
0: yeah I mean t- kind of looking at A&M's quarterback situation I kind of look at at Haynes King it seemed like they mm-hmm. did with just just going back and I don't know what the other you know 14 spring practices were like but when you just talk about of uh, the spring game it seems like and you lose Kellen Mond a no very serviceable quarterback with a great mind but it seems like if you're Jimbo you're able to open up the <laughs> offense a little more with either Zach with either Zach Calzada or Hangs King. And you, know, you saw a lot of, in the spring game, you saw a lot of, of boots, waggles moving out of the pocket that, that Mond wasn't able to do as well last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think I give Kelamon a lot of credit just because um, I, I think at that point of your career, when you're you know, a redshirt senior, you're so smart. You're almost like a, a second coach on the field. Um, and that's kind of where I think Kyle Trask excelled too. And it's it's just knowing, hey, when I when the play is called, I know not only where my receivers are going to be, but why this play was called and why we're calling it to attack the defense. And you're already thinking, okay, we're calling this now. Maybe in four plays that other or in four plays that play been running in practice, this is setting that up. And I think that's kind of what you get with you know an older veteran quarterback um, that you know you might have a freshman or a sophomore who's more talented, but that kind of. Game, game experience, you can't really, you know, replicate and you can't make up for that in practice. So I think that's – I give Kellamond a lot of credit um, for that, and I think that's part of the reason why he gave Florida fits um, when they were down there playing them.
0: One of the things that they kind of mulling over on LSU, since we're talking about them and AM was, you know, Coach O seems to do a lot better when he's uh, in the underdog role. Yeah. And then I know he's – you know, we're talking about creating this or talking about recreating the 2019, you know, magic – we're talking about Joe Brady, you go out and hire, hire Pete's from, from the Panthers that, that's worked with Brady last year. What, what's your opinion on possibly, now I'm kind of indifferent on creating, trying to recreate the magic. Cause to me, I don't know if it can be as good as it was in 2019, maybe eventually here in the next couple of years, but specifically for this year, what would, what's your opinion on trying to, trying to recreate that magic, although they do have a couple of, of weapons in, in Butte and Kirkland that kind of resemble, you know, Chase and Jefferson from that 2019 season.
1: I mean, 2019 was just so special. I think I, I joked with my buddy Ross Dellinger, who used to cover uh, LSU. I joked with him. I, I said, you know, LSU went in 2019, went to a real fancy restaurant, they ordered the biggest steaks on the menu. They ordered all the sides. They got a couple bottles of wine. And then 2020 came around, and every week somebody came with the check, and they were like, hey, time to pay for that bill from last year. And I was like, I don't think any LSU fan would say, we'll take the licks in 2020 because 2019 is magical. And I, I think every team you got to treat like it's, like it's its own and like it's, it's a new thing. Um, enjoy 2019 because, I mean, an undefeated run with the kind of records that they broke, beating Alabama, um, winning an SEC championship and um, getting a Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, what, what award didn't they win? I think Joe Brady won, like, coordinator of the year and uh, assistant coach of the year. Uh, they won Heisman. They won, like, the offensive line of the year. They they won. If there was an award, that team won it. So I don't think you can recreate that magic. Um, you might be able to take some things from that, some lessons you learned from that. Um, but in terms of recreating it, maybe if, uh, you know, the NCAA football game comes back, it'll be like a, a legacy team. And that's probably the, the closest you can get to really recreate in 2019.
0: <laughs> I used to have, we used to have a lot of fun uh, with those legacy teams back. Oh yeah. The, back in the old NCAA football game. Looking forward to, to a couple of years from now when we get possibly a new one coming out. Oh, same here. You'll lose some sleep. That's for sure. And <laughs> the, and the, in the 12 years
1: into a dynasty, you look up and it's two in the morning. (laughs)
0: Um, It'll be interesting to see how they go. Some things that, uh, that they might include uh, in the new, in the new game, you know, talk about, you know, even the transfer portal, kind of interesting to see if they possibly include that in the new game. Yeah. And how much will the, will the one-time transfer rule start affecting, uh, um, you
1: know, football, baseball, basketball, I mean, basketball. Now uh, Florida fans were all mad that Florida had four guys leave, but I'm looking around I'm like, there's some schools with six guys in the transfer portal. You know, you've only got 13, 14, 15 on a roster. I mean, that's a third year roster in the transfer portal. uh, If if not more. So I think the one-time transfer and we're looking at baseball too, is going to be a big thing where, you know, you might get a guy who was a talented pitcher, and he just couldn't get the couldn't get the innings at Florida and well you know what South Carolina needs a Friday night guy next year I'm going to head up there
0: and you you know play right away yeah I mean, and the last thing the last question I had for you was about was about Florida recruiting we've seen a lot of there's, there's so many talented high school players in Florida but you know we see we see the Alabamas the Clemsons the Ohio mm-hmm. States the, the top dogs coming down to to Florida and, and stealing those recruits away you know from the Florida schools how, how does Florida go about possibly ch- uh, trying to change that I know it's it's hard to 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 do that when you're talking about the top you know teams in the country right. that, make, that make the playoff every year and and that brings in the whole you know expansion conversation but but what what does Florida need to do to kind of keep those recruits in state, and then it, could it be something as simple as maybe in a couple years you you have that college football playoff expansion?
1: Maybe. Um, I think it's really tough right now. I mean, the one recruit who kind of filmed a FaceTime with Nick Saban, it's like, here's Coach Saban's recruiting uh, recruiting pitch. I'm like, he's just reading his Wikipedia. Those are just facts. Like, he's not fluffing anything up. He's like, we sent 400 kids to the NFL. We, we've won nine national championships. I'm like, he's not – He's just reading his Wikipedia page. He just had Miss Terry pull it up and he's just reading it. So it's tough to recruit, you know, and keep those kids in state when, you know, Dabo's coming down and saying, Hey, we've been part of every college football playoff. And and Nick Saban comes down and says the same thing. Urban Meyer comes down. And at the time when he was still recruiting for Ohio state, you know, those kids remembered the Tebow years and, and, and those Florida national championship runs. And he's like, Hey, I, I don't know how many times or how many kids he's told you, you can be the next Percy Harvin, um, but it works and, and it gets guys to go places. It's There's so much talent in the state of Florida. I've always thought a school, like when Scott Frost was at UCF, I always thought there was so much talent in the state of Florida that UCF didn't need to go and get five-star guys, but you might get a four-star that slips through the cracks and say, hey, you don't need to go. You're from Winter Park. You're from 30 minutes down the road. You don't want to go to, to Georgia or Georgia tech, you can stay here at UCF and mom can come watch every practice. If she wants, She can come be at every game. Um, I don't know what the answer is for Dan Moe and those guys to, to stop Nick Saban from coming in. I remember watching the national championship game last year and the Crimson Tide's entire starting secondary was from the state of Florida. And I'm just thinking, my goodness, like if those kids just stayed in state and went to Florida or went to FSU or any of the big three schools in, in the state, um, but I just don't know what it is because kids want to go where they have a chance to win championships. Clemson's winning ACC championships every year. Alabama's winning them or playing for them every single year. And then they want to get developed and go to the league. And when you look at the NFL draft, it's, it's the same names every year. LSU is sending guys to the league, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state. And it's, it's hard to pitch against that. And I think Florida, you should have to have continued success, um, you were having that. I mean, that you still have been to three straight near six bowls, but you ended last year with, with a, 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 like, a, it's like if a plane was coming into land and your landing gear fell off, you know, Florida had an emergency landing at the end of last year and that stuff, you know, as much as a stretch of three games shouldn't affect recruiting, you know, you don't enter the off season with any kind of momentum. Um, you know, the last, month of the season teams are looking at you and and you're getting blown out and you're not looking competitive. And, you know, then you're watching Alabama and Clemson and those schools play for championships. So more, more than anything a coach can say when a kid turns on the TV and is watching the playoff, if your school's there, that's recruiting for you. If your school's not there, it's almost recruiting against you more so than it is, you know, not even not helping you. It's just hurting you more than it's uh, not helping you.
0: That's definitely, that's definitely true. And Nick, it's been awesome having you today. We'll have to definitely have to do it again uh, before the season starts to, to talk some more football in the preseason. But let's well, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and, and what work you got coming up. And, and also, I and know you do the podcast as well. So tell everybody where they can find that as well. Yeah. The podcast,
1: wherever you listen to it, it's uh stadium and gale I'm on there with, uh, my guys, Corey Knowles and, and Dan Thompson, um, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Delatore, just my last name. And then uh, the website, all all the writing stuff, if you're into reading, is uh, florida.rivals.com. It's Gators Territory. So uh, there's always something going on. I think I got Arkansas this week, and then I'll be in Alabama next week for Hoover, and not too long from now, SEC Media Day. So there's not many days off uh coming up for me and heck maybe i'll even get a a chance to go out to omaha and watch the college world series this year so we'll see uh what florida does in in the tournament
0: that's definitely true i I got a chance to to go out to omaha a few weeks ago and and visit a buddy that was finish up his semester at at law school at creighton so that was a a really great okay a really great experience to, to be able to see td ameritrade i hadn't ever seen it in person before
1: yeah, my first time was uh, 2017. I made sure to tell uh, Scott Strickland, I was like, hey, I don't know. You know, you're new here. He was new at the time. I was like, I know you're new here, but Florida's been here a bunch, and they haven't won it. I said, I'm, I, this is my first trip here. You guys have a national championship. I was like, maybe you have an extra seat on that plane <laughs> for me on the way home. Uh, it didn't <laughs> work out that way, but uh, it was a, it was a fun trip. I was out there for 17 days. Uh, it, it's a long trip when uh, the team you're covering wins all their games out there.
0: <laughs> no doubt about it. You had to, you know, you had to to pack a couple extra suitcases for that one just in case.
1: I I found a hotel with a with a laundry machine. I was doing laundry out in
0: Omaha. <laughs> oh man, let's well, Nick DeMatari. Make sure you check him out on all the work that he does. And thank you for watching and listening to Crutch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.